0: Show you a better way. You
1: don't have to be another face in the crowd. Hi folks, is Jack Spirika with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 line, from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is Thursday, December the 1st, 2011. That means it's the first day of the last month of the year. And uh, jingle bells and ho, 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 and the holiday spirit and all that jazz. But that means the year's almost over. The year's almost over. Remember in January I said the year just started, but it's going to end before you know it? Are you working on personal liberty and independence? Well, how'll it work out for you this year? I hope you've moved further down the scale toward greater independence and liberty this year. Because if you're not moving in one direction, you are moving in the other. Uh on the note of personal independence and liberty and self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Imagine this, one day you're sitting in your house and uh, everything's hunky-dory, the air conditioner's humming or the heater's churning out heat, depending on what time of the year it is, the lights are on, mama's cooking, the TV's going, everybody's happy, the kids are playing video games, and boom, power goes out. Now there's a lot of reasons this could have happened, an ass clown could have hit a power pole and maybe you're down for an hour, or a big storm might have moved in and maybe you're down for a week or more either way, wouldn't it be great if right after that happened, you either went outside and did something or you just heard and then the lights came back on because you had a backup generation system. The thing about backup generator systems, and I've been you know, folks, self-reliance, self-sufficiency is my life. It's what I do. And It's one place where sometimes I feel over my head. I've been talking to some salespeople lately about a large standby generator system that'll just come on instead of the independent systems that I use that have to manually start up and run myself, and I felt very misled, and I'm telling you after talking to Today's guest, I know I was, and uh, I don't want that to happen to you. So I've got Standing by on the line, Mr. Chad Koontz, who is an electrical engineer, and he's been working for a large utility for 10 years as an electrical engineer. And he's been making the same decision for himself and navigating through the choices, and he's put together a great outline. He's gonna come on the air in just a minute, and he's gonna help us navigate this as well. So if you want backup generator systems for your home, whether you want something that's small, portable, or move to a full standby system, we're gonna cover all of that stuff today and understanding how to make the right choices for yourself and not be misled by somebody that just wants to sell you the biggest system that they have. I'll have chat on in just a second before we do that though let's go ahead take care of our sponsors they do a lot to help take care of you sponsor of the day number one today BackyardFoodProduction.com that's Marjorie Wildcraft who has her little operation down there south of Austin Texas and she has a DVD called Food Production Systems for a Backyard or Small Farm. I told her the name of that DVD should actually be How to Turn Your Property into a Food Production Machine because that's what she's done. If you look at her DVD and you see the amount of food she's producing. It will blow you away, and in the innovation that she put into the systems that do the work for her. If you want to know how to do that yourself, get a copy of this DVD. And hey, let me tell you this: if you've got a friend or a family relative or somebody that's into gardening and homesteading and all, but kind of not really the perma- or the uh, home the uh, preparedness thing. This would be a great gift and help them make the transition over so that not only do they have the garden, but they're being a well-rounded, prepared individual. Uh, and it is the time of year for gift-giving, so just a thought there. Next up today, Fortress Defense Consultants, Frank Sharp Jr.'s operation. You know, I always tell you that you need ammo to go with your gun. Well, the other thing you, know, you need to go with your gun is training. It's great that we have weapons to defend our home from anything from a common burglar to a societal breakdown. But you have no idea what the stress is going to be like when you end up in a situation that is indeed life or death. And maybe it's not life and death for you. It's life and death for somebody that you care about and you're called on to defend them. And you need the training to go along with the tools. And even if you've been to training, if you've been to training, you know how valuable it is. The people that go to training once go again and again and again. The people that have never been always put it off. That tells you something about the value of training. So whether it's with Frank and Fortress Defense Consultants or you find a good school near you, make sure you're getting some training. But I can't recommend Frank's operation highly enough. Get in touch with him. He has great courses all the time. Remember, if you have a group, let's say half a dozen people or more, put some guys together at work, local range, something like that, Frank will bring the training to you. You don't always have to go to the trainer. The trainer will come to you. How cool is that? Fortress Defense Consultants, get by there today and check out their class schedule. Get in touch with them if you want something custom. Uh, if you want not just somebody to come out and, and train you, but you want specific things, tell them what you want. They will put together a, a core of material and a course for the time and the covering the subjects that you want. Uh, next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And Survival Podcast is now featured on the Prepper Podcast Radio Network. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content available only to members and this is December right so I'm running a sale what's the sale you ask well Glad you asked. It's thirty dollars for your first year of Member Support Brigade. Uh, if you go online, you can just put in the discount code when you when you sign up. The discount code is snow. Uh, there's a full post about it. I'll link to in today's show notes that I put out on the blog yesterday, detailing all the details about it. If you pay by check or money order, you can you can use the form and just write snow on the form. And uh, it is new members only. It's very very complicated to take an existing member paying by PayPal and renew their account early. I have on my strategic objectives. For 2012 to have a coder coming and custom code that option. Until that, I can't do these sales for existing members. I'm not being AT&T and being a jerk and, and, and not, you know, extending a sale to new members. Trust me, I'd love to. It would be great for us. Uh, as well as for you. So that's not what it's all about. But new members, great deal. And I just wanted real quick to remind you guys some of the stuff you get. You know, I say all the time you get discounts to vendors. Well, it's now 32 different vendors giving you discounts. Uh, two of them are really big. A free lifetime discount membership is Safe SafeCastles Discount Club. That's worth 49 bucks. That's completely free and it's a lifetime. Uh so that covers the entire cost of membership that you profited uh 19 bucks right there. You get a free premium membership with Western Botanicals that's $50 a year. So there's another 50 bucks. So there's $99 right there in value for a $30 one year membership. Now the the discount membership with Western Botanicals when you renew it's supposed to be $50 a year. If you decide to keep it in your second year, it's 25 bucks to renew it. So that's that's a great deal. But I wanted to tell you about the ebooks you get today. Planting Trees the Low-Cost Easy Way by Jason Akers, value $6.99. How to Build a Top Bar Beehive, value $6.99. Basics of Sprouting, $6.95. Building an EPAC kit, $12.95. These are the values of these books. I'm getting to go out and buy them. Getting Your Household in Order, $6.95. Building a Traditional Clay Oven, value $18. Building Aquaponics Systems, value $18. Secrets of Ballistic Striking for Valerie Asanoff, value $11.95. The Glycation Factor by Dr. Gregory Ellis, $50 is what that e selling for. It's an amazing 500-page thesis. on on the glycation factor and cutting edge nutritional science 50 bucks you get it free and how to build your own residential wind turbine value $14.99 free all those books are free so that's the value prop that the MSB has Uh, that's supporting the show with the sale price at 12 cents an episode so consider joining the MSB this month as part of the festivities of the holiday season that's about as long as I'll talk about the sale in any coming editions I'll just remind you over the next couple weeks that it's going on With that, I've got the housekeeping wrapped up, and I'm ready to introduce our special guest today. Our special guest, again, is Mr. Chad Kuntz. is an electrical engineer for a large utility. He's been there for 10 years. He designs substations uh, for generation facilities with backup power systems. So it's what he does for a living. He's here to talk to us about doing it in our own homes. Chad, welcome to the Survival Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me on.
1: Hey, so, I mean, I'm really glad you reached out to us. This is, like, a really hot topic for TSP. And it's something that I have kind of limited knowledge with. I have a couple generators for the house. I've actually been looking for a whole house generator myself, so I am uh, really excited about having you on today to help not just the listeners but myself uh, with some decisions I'm going to be making. But when we're looking at types of generators, how do we make that decision between, let's say, portable generators and whole house?
0: Well, I think it's a lot of personal preference. I know a lot of this information that I'm going to be uh, have today is based on research that I've been doing for my own uh use and as well as what I've done in my professional life. Um, I have a home on one and a half acres, and I, I travel uh, somewhat extend, extensively for work, and I worry about my wife and future family being at home without uh, possible heat or lights, so I've been trying to come up with a good solution myself, so I did a lot of research and used my professional engineering thinking and came, kind of came up with an outline here that we can talk about today.
1: Well, excellent, and uh, I guess the first thing, this has always been my big thing, is how do we size a generator to determine how much generator we need? Because I had a quote-unquote professional who, is another word for salesman, come out and say, oh, yeah, you need a 20-kilowatt generator if you want a, a, a whole house generator, and I'm not quite so sure about that.
0: Well, I, I would have to agree. I don't think there's a whole lot of homes in North America that would actually require a 20-kW generator as a whole house backup source. Um, I know one thing that I use in my personal mind is you have to uh, balance between do you want to live your life like there's nothing happening or do you want to realize that their grid is down and you have to be a little conservative with your energy usage. Uh, so the first things I look at are uh, the specific loads that you have in your house that are real important. Um, I know, I believe you have a well pump on your home there. Uh, that's a big one. How that's is a huge a well one. Pump?
1: That's, that's one of my huge things, and it's not just about the draw, which I don't remember, but it's it's fairly significant, but it's also it's a critical system for me because if I don't have uh, the ability to run that, not only am I out of power, but I am out of water.
0: Right. So I look at uh, well pump or water supply and then heat and AC, and for myself, I live up here in the northern part of uh, the U.S., and we get extremely cold, so the heat is more important for me. Um, I know down in the south there, you guys think that AC is pretty important, and I guess I don't live in a place where it gets over 100 degrees for extended periods of time, so I don't feel that that's as important, but it can be. Um, Sump pumps, another important one, or uh, septic tank lift pumps. You know, just because you have water to flush the toilet, if you you have a lift system in your septic tank, that's an important one too. Uh, Hot water heaters are also another one. So I kind of take those uh, specific loads... And then you can also look at major appliances like your dryer, range, uh, refrigerator, deep freeze, and microwave. Some of those could be considered convenient, such as your dryer or your microwave, but I think it would be important to at least uh, include one or two elements of your stove and possibly your oven so that you could cook for yourself. Uh, fridge and deep freezes are very important. You don't want your food food to spoil. So I, I like to look at all those things that and uh, look at what their nameplate ratings are for the for the uh, load in watts. And then, but many people would just add that up, and that may be where the salesman was coming from. If you add that up, of course, it'll add up to probably 20 kilowatts or more.
1: But it, Yeah, I mean, this is what I was looking at. I told you, I said, look, I don't need to be taking a hot shower, running nonstop, cooking on the range, cooking in the stove, have both of the, the, the refrigerator and the freezer on, on, on the kicked-on draw, have the uh, the AC set on 65 degrees all at the same time. That just it doesn't make sense to me that you would try to size it toward everything drawing full tilt at the same time.
0: Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. It's, uh, we call it load diversity. And I, I look at it, and I, I think I can take – your total connected load, and multiply that by probably 60 to 70%. And that that can vary by personal preference, like I said, on what your budget is and what you feel you want and how many people are in the house. Because if it's just a couple that are living in the house, maybe your wife is doing some chores and you're doing some chores. But if there's children around then there will be more TVs, more entertainment, more lights possibly. Um, so that can uh, kind of up that percentage a little bit. It, when you're looking at
1: that thing, absolutely. And I mean, here's one of the things I thought of. We're going to I guess get into fuels here next. And so far, it looks to me like I'm going to go with propane, and I'm going to have to bring in a, a you know a pig, uh, a big propane tank. And mm-hmm. if I'm going to do that, it, it would be very easy, given that my home is a uh, mobile home, and it's easy to access underneath to plumb in a few propane space heaters. So they're drawing from the propane that's already there, and that would be my supplemental heat, which. Uh, is far more efficient than converting to electricity and then using the electric heat in a backup situation. So to me, uh, that that kind of helps out a lot as, as well.
0: Absolutely. Uh, there's no reason to go through two chemical re- uh, energy conversions there to do that. Um, you pulled right in there to the fuels. Uh, I've looked at propane myself. Uh, personally, I have natural gas plumbed in my house. I have installed a propane generator in my professional career, and I a few stumbling stones that I learned about is, you know, the great thing about propane is it's clean burning and it stores forever. So you have your tank out there, you can fill it up, and um, you don't have to worry about the fuel going bad. I, the few um, bad things that I've come across or thought about with propane is it is a pressurized tank of explosive liquid. There is a bit of a hazard there. Not, a I don't feel it's a large hazard, but it, it is, um, and you can't... Um, readily go and fill the tank yourself to refuel or resupply where you could with a liquid fuel. So that's a, a couple downfalls of it. And also for any of your listeners in the northern climate here, uh, one thing that I've learned when I installed it in my professional career is uh, you don't burn liquid propane, you burn gaseous propane, and the propane actually boils within the tank and vaporizes to feed whatever appliance you're using. Uh, as the weather gets colder, that vaporization uh, process happens at a slower rate, and you may need a larger tank just to supply enough vapor to your engine to run your generator.
1: That's really interesting. I did not know that. Um, I'm kind of in a situation where if I'm going to go with uh, you know, gas, and I don't mean gasoline, but a gas, it's going to have to be propane because I don't have grid gas. So it's either propane, diesel, or gasoline for me.
0: Yeah, and propane is a great option. I just want to make sure that you're aware of that. You can get uh, fuel systems that actually draw liquid propane off the bottom of the storage tank, but then they have a, a vaporizer direct near the engine to provide enough vapor to feed that engine. And one thing to consider about propane, too, and this is just an FYI, is when I bought it, I realized that the, the engine on this propane generator was the same engine that – uh It's an 8.1-liter GM V8 engine, and I thought, wow, this is really derated for horsepower. And the uh, salesman noted to me that propane has a lower energy density than gasoline. So if you're going to get a certain size generator, it may be a larger size engine than what you're expecting. Um, And that's not really a, a downfall at all, but it was just something that shocked me at the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, because one of the things I've considered as a, a secondary option would be to go with diesel. Uh, you can store diesel for quite a while, and I have two diesel vehicles, so rotating the fuel wouldn't be a problem, and it's easier to bring in and out myself, and it would save the expense of a tank install and, and what have you. And there's other ways I can do backup heating and still save on the electrical draw. So I, I, that's why I'm kind of still up in the air is what to do.
0: Yeah, personally, I love, diesel is probably my um, – for me, I'm going natural gas, I think, just because it is a grid-provided uh, utility and I don't feel that the risk of losing natural gas and electricity at the same time would be very great. I don't live in an earthquake zone. I think that's probably the major risk of natural gas source going down via an earthquake. I don't live in a <laughs> zone like that, so my personal uh, choice will probably be propane, or uh, natural gas, I'm sorry, but uh, diesel is an excellent. Um, Option because a lot of the engines can run at 1800 rpm. Um, with your diesel mechanic background, your maintenance isn't a problem for you. The life of the engine will be literally a lifetime. It's it's a lifetime investment that you could pass on to future generations or have it as an asset with the home when you sell it. And as you said, if you have a couple of diesel vehicles, you could put a couple hundred gallon storage tank on your home, and diesel is one thing that. In any place you get far enough out, and it will be delivered to site, so you can have on-road or off-road
1: diesel delivered to your home. Yeah, and I, that was another thing I really didn't think of, but there's definitely a cost advantage there. Is I could run off-road diesel there. I can't then rotate it through my vehicles. At least I'm not supposed to. Um, but but that is a significant savings because you don't pay the taxes on it.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and one thing is. And the fuel tank isn't much bulkier than the propane. And one other thing that I wanted to bring up um, for the propane is also realize that when you buy a 500 gallon tank, you can't put 500 gallons of propane in there. I believe it's 80% fill capacity, so you only get 400 gallons of propane in that tank.
1: That's that's true, and it's another one of my big considerations. That uh, 500 gallons isn't 500 gallons. So then, when you look at the capacity for running at, let's say, 50% load for the generator, you have to rate it at 80% of the run time, not 100%, which is what my expert salesperson also did. So he said, look how long this will run. And uh, he was kind of taken aback by that one. I don't think they really – the other thing was the guy wasn't very helpful with, uh, you know, hey, do you, can, can you recommend somebody to get the propane tank from and all? And I don't think they really handle that end very much. So I probably won't be using them no matter what I do.
0: Um now that's what I've run into too is the the generator place usually does not have a lead on the propane a, a coal uh fuel co op or a fuel supply place would be the best place and you can rent or purchase propane tanks. So.
1: Yeah, we were able to find it but it just kinda of bugged me that they didn't have any expertise there because that's kind of their to me that's kinda of like a whole solution thing. I don't want to beat the guy up too much or anything, but that's just kinda of how I felt. But so, I mean, he
0: probably wouldn't also. He probably wouldn't be plumbing the propane tank to the generator himself either. That would be another subcontractor.
1: Correct, correct. So there was no total solution there. So what are your thoughts on gasoline?
0: Um, gas is just fine. You know, it has the same benefits really as diesel. As most people drive gasoline cars, so surge rotation is uh, pretty easy. Uh, a couple of the bad things are: is the fuel may not be available during a power outage. And uh, it's kind of volatile and has a short shelf life. But if you can do that rotation through your uh, vehicles, and again, you know, depending on where you live and what your local uh, regulations and uh, laws are, you maybe want to have a 100-gallon tank installed at your home, and you could fill up your uh, cars and have that for your uh, generator as well.
1: Yeah, I mean that's one of the things I like about the the diesel thing, and it would be the same for most people. Most people drive gasoline. That I have an additional reserve fuel capacity for either or because you don't. I always say this to people: you don't get to pick your disaster. So all the people that go, well, when the, when you know when this happens, well, you don't know that's what's going to happen. All we know is that sooner or later, one system or another is go, or multiple systems are going to fail.
0: Right, and I you know I would say, too, if I have a gas generator and a gas vehicle, I'm going to have 5W30 oil on hand for maintenance and things like that. If I have a diesel generator and a diesel vehicle, I'll have 1540 on hand to do maintenance and some similarities there. Um, So, yeah, I think gas is a good option as well. Uh, I wanted to bring up one thing that kind of covers all the fuels is fuel tank sizing, and you brought it up a little bit. Um, That's another personal preference there of How long do you think that you need to run this, especially if you do go with a propane or a gas or diesel of any fuel? How much should I have? And I know that that's a big topic on the forum, and you brought it up before too, and I think you really have to sit down and just say, how long of a incident am I going to plan for, and how do I think I can resupply myself and look at the size of generator? And, again, that's where that salesman that's trying to push a 20 kW generator to you, that means your fuel tank is going to have to be, very large to supply that with enough fuel to run for, say, a week. Where if you can trim down your energy usage to 10 kW, now I need half the fuel tank.
1: Correct. Or I can even go with a large fuel tank and and support more like two to three weeks with some rationing because I know darn well in my area that with an ice storm, I could be looking at two to three weeks without power because guess what? It's happened before. And if it's happened before, it's possible that it will happen again in fact right. sometimes likely
0: right and uh, a lot of people will say well if i have the, the large generator if i don't have it fully loaded i won't use as much fuel yes that's true but it's similar to idling a v8 versus a four-cylinder car even idling it will burn more fuel and that's uh, one thing to look at when you're sizing that fuel tank
1: yeah, and I think your, your number of 10K is closer to what I, I was actually kind of doing my own numbers, and I came to the conclusion of about 12 to 14K would be more than sufficient and with a little bit of headroom. And the fuel, fuel utilization, even at half load or even at comparable loads, you're right, is definitely lower. Yep. So what about, like, looking at, like, you know, doing the, you know, like I'm looking at a fixed, automatic on backup generator, but also right now I'm using some portables. So for instance, I've got a little bitty generator that, you know, pull start, and I pretty much use that as my keep one room cool air conditioner, uh, where we have one of these little roll around uh, AC units and we close the room off and we can keep the room cold in the winter. And I have a larger portable that I can hook up and run my, my well pump and a few other things with, but I, I, I'm not, really in love with that because it's kind of, a, I mean, I've had date nights where the power went off and we threw a couple logs on the fire and went, man, I really don't want to go out there and do this. So kind of making that choice, is it, if the budget's there, go ahead and do it or are there ways that you can extend that or, you know, what have you? Because I, I know that every time there's a disaster, I see people go out and buy generators and most of these people don't even know what to do with them.
0: Right. Uh, I think if if the budget allows, if, if you have probably around three to $4,000 to spend in your budget, I think a fixed auto transfer switch would be the best choice for some of the reasons that you said there. Um, one thing, I think it's an asset to the home. Uh, there's less less risk of theft as it's connected to your home and not just on wheels as someone can throw it in the back of their pickup. Uh, and again, if it's bad weather or you're not around, uh, how, many, how much capability does your uh, significant other or family have? They don't have to worry about it with a fixed auto-transfer switch. It's a 20-second wait. It comes on. When the grid comes back, it'll turn off. Um, I think there's a lot of advantages there if the budget allows.
1: I I agree. And, I mean, another thing is the fact that the power will come on when nobody's home means something to me, too. I had uh, a time where my whole family was on vacation, and we had one of our deep freezers out in the garage in Texas, And it was about 110 degrees out. And when we came home, most, you know, the food in the, it it was, you know, debatable whether it was bad or not. But I certainly wasn't going to risk it because it had been off for about 18 hours. And, yeah, a freezer will hold cool for a while, but not in a hot garage. And everything was defrosted uh, and warm to the touch. And had I had a backup generator at the time, that just wouldn't have happened. So the cost right there, I mean, it was it was a bunch of deer meat in there. There was, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of meat lost. Well, you know, there's right there, there's the generator paying for, you know, 10 or 20 percent of itself in one event.
0: Yeah, and some of the features, I've even done some research, and uh, I, I'll just throw out a brand name. Cummins Own is a pretty large, reputable um, generator supply. I mean, everyone knows Cummins Diesel Engines. Uh, they also do home... Whole home generation systems, and they have a control panel that you actually put in the house, and it will actually send out uh, text or email alerts to you when the power does go out, and you have control over that through a website. So if, if you are on vacation and the power goes out and the generator starts, you do you can actually turn the generator off if you prefer, or you just know that an incident has happened, and you might contact someone locally and say, Hey, can you go over and check out my house and make sure everything is okay?
1: Yeah, it definitely beats my low-tech detection method that I used when we were, you know, we weren't living up here in Arkansas yet, and the house would be three months without us coming in, and I didn't know, you know, the freezer could go off, the food could spoil, and then the freezer could refreeze, and we could come up here to use that food and then not know that it had done that. So my low-tech method, which I thought was actually kind of clever, is I came up with this, you get a a two-liter soda bottle, and then you freeze, you fill it halfway with water, and you freeze it, and then you set it in your freezer upside down. And if it fully defrosts, the water will all be settled to the bottom of the, or you know, which will now be the uh, the, the neck of the bottle instead of up top in the in the uh, in the base. So that was yep. that was like my only way to know if uh, if uh, maybe the food had been contaminated. I figured if it didn't defrost, then the food was probably safe. I uh, aside there, but it would have been much better to just have a generator kick on and take care of things.
0: That is a good kiss solution right there.
1: Yeah, I was I was kind of proud of it actually, and it kind of happened by accident the way that I found it. But we'll just keep going. You also have on your generator uh, outline here uh, PTO portable. You want to talk a little bit about those?
0: Yeah, um, that was uh, a while back. That was actually my preferred choice because I have a small 24 horse uh, John Deere utility tractor that has a 540 rpm PTO shaft, and I you know that I thought it was a great option I said yeah I already have a power head that I already keep maintained. I know will start all the time um, so I would just buy a small PTO generator but I, I, I've come up with a couple detractions from that solution Is number one is then my tractor is tied up and I can't use it for moving snow or any other chores that I may want to do around home Uh second I have to leave my tractor outside which is somewhat of a danger with the spinning PTO shaft it's uh a neighbor kid or somebody came by and didn't know the dangers of a spinning PTO shaft. Um, I, and then third is my wife wouldn't be able to connect it up if I wasn't home. So that kind of took a lot of the uh, pros away for me personally. But uh, I think if, if you're uh, on a large farm and you want a large uh, area around here, that was around this area. Um, that was the end-all, be-all for a long, long time: was to have a PTO generator and just use one of your utility tractors. Uh, if you do have two tractors on a, on a farm or something, it's a great solution.
1: Absolutely, and, and it, it saves you quite a bit of money.
0: It does because you're not buying that other engine, and like I said, you're you're already maintaining the engine and know that it'll start and have a good battery and whatnot, so uh, you don't have to worry about that. And that's one of the detractions against a, a small portable generator. You have to exercise these once in a while, and you have to make sure that the gas in the tank and the carburetor doesn't go bad. So you really should be running them once a month. Well, that's a, just one more thing on your to-do list. With a fixed auto transfer switch, uh, typically they have a battery charger connected that feeds off graded power and keep the battery charged. They'll have an exercise uh, time that will do that every 30 days or so, and you can choose non-load exercise. It, it will load up and exercise itself with putting your own load on. The
1: generator as well as the yeah, I mean that was one of the things that uh, the uh, the sales guy actually told me that I thought was really uh, a great feature of the auto on generators, where they'll they'll basically power themselves up once a month and, and run load if you want them to for a certain period of time, so that they stay in shape. And you don't have to remember to do that. more with you, you know, you're right. With my portables, I go out and I start them. I have it on the calendar. I go out and I start them once a month, and I make sure that they're all working and Guess what? Every once in a while, one of them won't start and I have to fiddle around with it and figure out why. Um, so it's, it's yeah, it's it's a big thing. On the portables real quick before we move on to kind of the, the connection ties, uh, one thing I kind of glossed over was what about carbon monoxide uh, concerns with your portable generators? If we have a fixed generator sitting outside of the house, I'm not really worried about CO2, uh, but uh, if we are, or CO, uh, if, if we have a, a portable generator, we can get into some trouble with those if we don't use them right.
0: That, that's correct, you know. The, the fixed one, obviously, it's going to have a muffler on it. It will have carbon monoxide emissions, but it's outside. Uh, you'll try to locate it away from a window or air intake for your furnace or whatnot. Uh, a lot of people get themselves in trouble because of some of the detractions that we've talked about for portables. It sucks to go out in the middle of a thunderstorm and try to get a portable generator running in the rain. So they'll run them in their garage or nearby a house or, or a a door or a window, and then you're you're pulling in all those nasty fumes from that internal combustion engine into your house and you, you know it, it's called the silent killer because people go to bed and they don't wake up, and you don't want to have a strategy like that happen to your family just because you were trying to provide for them during an emergency yeah that,
1: that definitely
0: is a concern, so I would you know and, Moving over to uh, connections a little bit, definitely make sure you get a long enough cord so you can get that away from the windows and air intakes, and, you know, you're going to have to be outside. That's your choice.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, with the cord stuff, moving on to that, I mean, it's important to look at the size of your cords, too, because... And I think a lot of people do this, not just with generators, but other uh, pieces of equipment running at long distances. They put too thin of a gauge uh, uh, extension cord on there. It's not like running some Christmas lights where just any old thing will do.
0: Right, many people aren't even aware of what gauge of wire is in the extension cords. They go to the hardware store and they look for the least expensive, uh, most economical cord they can. And a lot of times that can be a 16 gauge or 18 gauge extension cord. I, I fully believe that if you invest in a good high quality 12 gauge extension cord that, uh, has a good jacket on it that stays flexible in the wintertime, Um I know I've used, uh, it's called Frog Hide and it's a Carol product. I believe Carol is a manufacturer of it. They're expensive, but it's the best extension cord I've ever bought. I actually bought it in college when I had no money and it's lasted 15 years. Um, it'll probably last another 15 more. They're, they stay flexible and probably minus 30 degree weather, and it's got a heavy enough gauge that you can actually run the appliances safely and not have to worry about overheating.
1: Yeah, there's three things that I would say that you should never buy the cheap version thereof. One, power tools. Two, garden hoses. Three, extension cords. Uh, they always end up costing you more uh, when you when you go the cheap route with those three things. Uh, and extension cords, thin, thin gauge cords, um, can actually be a fire ha- hazard.
0: They, they can. And also, uh, if you have too much, too thin of a cord, you'll have too, too large of a voltage drop to start maybe a large well pump or a sump pump. So that's another consideration. Uh, I, I did a little exercise preparing for the interview here, and I think a great thing to do if you did go with a portable generator is to make up your own uh, portable power distribution center. I, I went online at Lowe's, and I found a 100-amp square D panel for $23. You could buy six breakers, uh 620-amp receptacles and boxes, connect all that up with some scrap wire, screw it to a piece of scrap plywood. For about $120, you could have a power distribution center that you want to run one large-gauge cord into your home, and then your generator can still be at a safe enough distance for carbon monoxide, and then all those cords, you don't have a, a spaghetti mess of cords running in through a door somewhere.
1: Yeah, definitely, um, and, and that's something else I've also seen people do is, you know, okay, I've got a generator, and there's two outlets on it, so I'll get a power strip and stick it in one of those, and then they have extension cords going everywhere, and some of the stuff doesn't work, uh, and, and then they're surprised. Like, I mean, I remember uh, one of my buddies had one of these real little uh, generators. Uh, I think it was like a 1K, and he had a couple lights going and everything, and everything was fine until he tried to run a coffee maker, and a coffee maker shut it down. It just didn't have the the, uh, the power to run a coffee maker, and I think that's because yeah. of heat. heat. Yeah. They
0: have large heating elements in them. You don't realize what kind of appliance that is there.
1: Absolutely. So um, let's look at where you're talking about cords and manual transfer switches, because that's. It's, I think if you're going with most of the portables, uh, that's kind of what you're going to be with. You're going to have to switch power over, and that's something that basically all I've done is just run as needed with my portables up till now. I've never wired my generators into the the house's distribution system. So how do we kind of go about that?
0: Well, I think the, the cord to the manual transfer switch is the next step up. If you're going to use portable, I think it's a better connection to your home. Uh, you can buy a, a transfer switch, uh, a whole house transfer switch, for probably about $350 to $500. A uh, 100-amp uh, service entrance transfer switch is $400. So then you would you could uh, connect that up and that will go right out by the meter for your electrical service uh, with the electrical service on one side and a plug where you would plug in that heavy gauge cable from your portable generator with a switch that you would have to throw manually uh, when you were using the generator. And what that does is it disconnects your home from the grid to uh, protect uh, utility workers while you're running off your generator, but it all... In concert, it connects your entire home's panel, uh, surface panel, to your generator. So all of your loads throughout your home are already connected, and you just have to use your breakers to turn loads on and off, so not so as to not to overload the generator.
1: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And um, are, are there any other major considerations we need to take into account when using a portable with a transfer switch?
0: Not, not really. Uh, the transfer switch is really the main safety mechanism. It's going to break the grid connection before it connects to the generator. So you just start up your portable generator, uh, and once that's running and uh, the voltmeter and the frequency meter on the generator says everything is okay, go ahead and throw that switch. it will uh, It's called a break before make. It will break the utility connection and make the generator connection, and your panel will uh, be connected. I guess the one thing that I would probably do is, turn off all the breakers in the home first so it's not to overload that generator and trip it off right away, and then just slowly add load on until you uh, either get to the point where you're comfortable in the home or that the generator is overloaded and you can no longer add any load.
1: Yeah, um, that makes sense to me. What about if we want to move to kind of an auto-transfer switch? Um, is there some of that stuff that can be done by the kind of do it yourself or, or is that where we go to definitely needing a, an electrician?
0: Well... <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to say that it, uh, this is true in all localities. I know um, it, it changes between city, county, uh, municipalities. I think if you go with the auto transfer switch that has a limited number of circuits, I think that's a do-it-yourselfer thing. If you're uh, somewhat familiar with electrical, uh, some licensed electricians may get upset with me with that. But there are some things that do-it-yourselfers can do as long as it's done in a safe manner. Uh, a lot of these they you take a large 100-amp breaker from your main panel and feed this quote-unquote sub-panel with that breaker, and then you just wire nut the supplied um, pigtails from that panel to the wires going out to the loads and uh, abandon the the breakers that are in your panel to begin with. I think that's a do-it-yourselfer thing. Um, There's no uh, connections directly to the service from the utility, uh, but if you're not comfortable with that, by all means, uh, hire a licensed electrician, it'll be done properly, and you'll know it'll work. Uh, that, that's the first option with a auto transfer switch is only to have um, what you would consider critical loads connected. And some of these transfer switches have uh, 10 circuits, 12 circuits, all the way up to probably 18, 16 circuits, I think, as might be the maximum. So if you look at your home panel, you probably have, depending on the size of your home, anywhere between 20 and 30 circuits, so you'll only be able to put about half of those on the generator itself.
1: That makes that makes sense. And I think that that's uh, an area where you can start to just by even if you're not going to do this, even if you're going to go to something that's more of a whole house and you're sizing out what your needs are, if you just sit there and look at that panel and start saying, nice to have, got to have, don't need, uh, that can start to help you a lot with your sizing requirements.
0: Yeah. Uh, the one downfall is, is depending on if you built the house and there. Um, the electrician was a good uh, common-sense electrician or some maybe you had an apprentice working on that particular job, sometimes the breaker circuits just don't have a rhyme or reason or what you want is going to be on a circuit that also has something different and you won't be able to change it. Um, so you, there you'd have to just control the loading based on the appliances or the lighting that you use.
1: Yeah, that makes sense as well. But if, if we if we're gonna step up though now and move into a whole house, that's where I need to be calling the uh, the licensed electrician in. Yeah,
0: if you're gonna do a service entrance auto transfer switch, which I think is the best bang for the do- bang for the buck, um, I looked up that and some of these service trans- entrance transfer switches are about the same uh, cost as what uh, limited circuits are, and then you. You don't have to have a sub-panel. Why repurchase that asset when you already have it in your home and you could just put a whole house service entrance transfer switch? And there you're going to need a licensed electrician because most utilities won't um, turn off the the energy to the meter uh, for a do-it-yourself or so. And also you're dealing with higher current, um, probably more things that the average do-it-yourselfer wouldn't be uh, familiar with. So I think a, a licensed electrician for a project of that type would be a good good idea.
1: And then from my experience, like looking with, like, Generac and some other companies, when you get into that level of installation, I think even if you could get away with doing it yourself, um, you need it for those some of the warranty issues.
0: Uh, possibly. Uh, I've heard some, some of these companies, um, I don't even know if they would warranty something like that. I think a lot of them... I know I can go down to my local Menards and buy a Generac with a um, limited circuit auto transfer switch. So I don't know if they're – I've never read the fine print on uh, warranty issues, but I, I think they're marketed as a do-it-yourself project.
1: Okay. So maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe that's more misinformation from my uh, certified installer there. Who knows? Um, but when we look at a whole house transfer switch, so we need – some things you said we need to make sure we do and – Uh, One is make sure they're properly sized, and uh, I guess we need to look at cost as well.
0: Right. Uh, Most houses um, have several different service sizes. Uh, Probably 100, 150, and 200 amp services are most common in the area where I live. I don't know if that holds true throughout the country, but it's pretty easy to find if you just go down to your main service panel and look at what the main breaker size is. If it says 100, well, then it doesn't pay for you to go and buy a 200-amp transfer switch. But if you have a 200-amp panel, you, you probably want to size the transfer switch as, as large as the panel so that you're not limiting yourself anywhere.
1: That's you
0: don't want one component to limit uh, another component's capability.
1: And what are we looking at for cost on, on uh, for, for something like this?
0: Well, I, I did a little uh, research on the web, and I, I found a service entrance transfer switch at 100-amp for around $400, a 200 amp, you're probably six to 700. Um, the cost is not um, linear. Uh, you, you may find a little better price here or there. So it is a significant investment, but like I said, I, I think it's the best bang for the buck. You, you have the whole house if you size the generator properly. Uh, going about your day-to-day lives, you don't have to worry of, oh, there's no lights in this room because it wasn't on a critical circuit that there is in this room.
1: I mean, I always look at things like, too, like someday I may sell my house. And if I have, like, a portable generator and I've done all this, this wiring in myself and you can hook it up and I let's say I want to sell the generator with the house and I tell the new homeowner, look, this is what you do, you pull it out, you start it up, you plug this in here, you throw the switch. That's all, that's all complicated to the new homeowner. If you tell the new homeowner, look, if the power goes off, it's going to turn on and run, put fuel in here, done. Uh, it's a big uh, upselling point to the house.
0: I think so. I think this is becoming uh, not just a proper issue. I think it's becoming more and more of a mainstream thing uh, that people are looking at this. After ice storms, blizzards, hurricanes, they're looking and seeing that electricity is becoming a mainstay of their lives, and they they need some sort of backup energy source.
1: So uh, another thing we can look at, then, is there's really two types of uh, of generators, at least from your outline here. Um and you call the first one an inverter, uh, and you say they're mainly on the portable generator. So what are we looking at when we look at an inverter-type generator?
0: Well, uh, really, you're you're looking at the small Hondas. Uh, Yamaha makes them. Pretty much all the cheap Chinese brands will also make them, too. You're looking at a generator probably of 3,000 watts or less. And what that is is power electronics has come down in cost so much that they can put an inverter on the output of that generator, uh, change the AC output, variable voltage, and variable frequency to DC, and then convert that to straight 120 volt, 60 hertz sine wave uh, like you would use on all your appliances in your home. And the great upside of that is now that small engine doesn't have to run at a fixed RPM, uh, so it, they can slow the governor down and save fuel. That's why people love their little 2,000-watt Honda generators. They weigh 40 pounds, and they run on a gallon of gasoline for a day. You know, it's a great, great thing, but it'll be on a smaller generator.
1: Yeah, and they're really quiet, too, those little Hondas.
0: They are. They're a wonderful little machine. Uh, Personally, I think you have it right do a whole house, and if I could have a couple 2,000-watt Hondas, if money was no object, they're great for camping and tailgating and any other event that you may want to.
1: Absolutely, and then there's always the old two-is-one-and-one-is-none thing. <laughs> so at least you got That's something if, you're, if, you're, if your larger system even runs out of fuel. Let's say you have a diesel or a propane or natural gas uh, major uh, backup system, and you go into a prolonged situation, and you do use up all of your, your system, or the system breaks down. If you have a couple portables, you still have something.
0: Yep, and people uh, don't – I know Hondas and the Yamahas are very expensive, but I, I think that, there again, it's a long-term investment, um, I'd hate to, you know, I have some people that I'm friends with that feel $250, everybody should have one. If it dies out in two years, that's great. You know, I, I can't argue with that logic too much, but I know that the Honda and Yamaha are going to be quieter, and I know that I have a service uh, uh, t- department at the local dealership that will stand behind them real well, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I look at those, and I say they cost like two to three times as much, and, and they're worth it. And so as long as you got the funds, I think they're the way to go. Yeah, but then again, if you can pick up a little, you know, fifteen hundred watt, two thousand watt generator from Sportsman's Guide for one hundred and twenty nine bucks, it's better than nothing.
0: Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, one thing about the uh, inverters, some people may be concerned about harmonics, um, since it is a, uh, most likely a pulse width, pulse width modulated sine wave. Uh, there are going to be some harmonics there. Um, however, if you're running a fridge or a well pump or something like that, induction motors tend to smooth out the current and don't care about that too much. Um, when you're not doing a variable frequency drive, when it's just an inverter like that, most of the time your induction motors will just cruise along just fine, not care, have a care in the world. And then electronics, that's the next uh, biggest concern for people. And I myself, I don't have that uh, concern with that. Maybe after this... Show air. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I know I'm not a. I wasn't the greatest in electronics in school, but you know most computers and TVs and uh, other appliances they have a switch mode power supply that changes it down to five or ten volts DC anyway. So that's going to clean up any harmonics. Those harmonics are not going to get into your sensitive electronics in the first place.
1: Yeah, I think I would agree with that from all the research I've done up till now. And I, I have to say, I've, I've used a portable generator to run uh, things like, uh, you know, a refrigerator or a freezer, and I, I haven't had any problems.
0: Yeah. And then the, um, we keep going down here. My second item is just the standard generator head. Um, that's going to be your induction machine uh, that's excited, uh, provides a sine wave based on the input speed of the prime mover and voltage based on the excitation of the machine. Uh, two things you want to keep in mind there is that the best generators will have a automatic voltage regulator. What that does is it's a closed feedback loop, and it's going to measure the output voltage and try to keep it at uh, your nominal 120, 240 volts so that you don't have spikes and dips in your voltage as your generator is running and as you add load and subtract load. And the second thing I guess is really important for PTO generators, uh, probably not as much so as uh other combined prime mover generators is there's typically a frequency gauge on the generator as well. And here's where these generators uh are at a disadvantage with inverters is you need to keep the speed such that the frequency of the output is at sixty Hertz. If you start uh, trying to save fuel by running a tractor, especially in a PTO generator, or modify the governor on a portable to run at a slower speed, now you're going to run the risk of burning out your induction motors in your fridge, uh, pumps, anything, anything like that.
1: Yeah, I guess I really never really thought about that, I mean, uh, it seems like you'd have to know what you were doing to do it with a portable, but it, it seems pretty easy to just run your PTO a little mm. slower and think that's going to that's gonna help things, but uh, apparently not a, really a good idea. Oh, no, it's not. My father's actually a line superintendent
0: for another a local co-op, and a farmer did that. Someone told him, oh, if you're worried about the fuel costs, uh, say fuel, slow your tractor down. Yeah, he did, he did that. and He burned out every fridge, freezer, uh, well pump, uh, irrigation pump. Yeah, it's not a good thing.
1: Okay, great. Um, So I guess our big ones then we're worried about with stuff like that are fridge, freezer, and well pump from your outline, but the whole overall writing message is just don't do it anyway.
0: Right. It's not, I mean, it's going to make your lights dim. It's going to, any electric heat that you have, it won't be putting out uh, as much uh, heat, and it's just not going to be good for uh, most things. So that's just plan for your uh, fuel consumption, running it at proper uh, frequency.
1: Okay, and then you have the last thing you have here is we want to make sure we get a unit with an automatic voltage regulator.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of mentioned that earlier. Uh, that just means that it's going to regulate the voltage as you add or subtract load. Uh, as you add load, typically voltage will start dropping, so the uh, generator will add more excitation current to the machine, uh, no input from the user needed. Uh, it's just going to measure its output voltage and it, as it, gets, it starts dropping lower, it will try to raise that voltage to the nominal set at the factory.
1: Great. And you've got some references here for folks? Uh, Yeah,
0: you know, as I was doing my uh, research to come up with this information, because I had a lot of this in my head, but I felt I better do a good job for your audience, as most uh, interviewees do, uh, generatorjoe.net has a lot of great information. They have a a fuel comparison guide there and a lot of great information on that. Uh, Most of the prices that I came up with to purchase transfer switches or cords or even both portable and whole house generators, uh, electricgeneratorsdirect.com. Seems like I, I can't say anything about the service. I've never purchased anything from them, but, boy, the prices are darn reasonable. And then uh, one company that I like, uh, basically because I worked with them in my professional career, is Cummins Onan. Uh, I have a, lo- a great local sales rep and they do have a residential website. If you just do a search for cumminsonin.com uh, forward slash residential, there, there's a sizing calculator there, a lot of information on their control panels, how to uh, maintain a generator, a lot of great information there too.
1: Well man, I appreciate all the effort you put into this, uh, Chad. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a great interview, and I'll make sure I put links to those three references in today's show notes. I'd also imagine that folks may have some questions for you, and they'll probably comment in the blog. And I'm sure you'd be happy to maybe uh, check in with those uh, after the show's been up for a day or two, and maybe give us some answers on uh, the stuff that I didn't think of to ask you.
0: Absolutely, you know, I'll, I'll look at the comment section. I don't know when the show is going to air, but I listen every day, so I'll make sure to check out the comment section and if anybody wants to contact me after the comments we'll get together and have a little email screen, And I'm more than happy to help people as long as it doesn't infringe on in my personal life too much I don't want to make my life
1: that bad on me yeah you always got to qualify that and uh, the show is going to actually air on uh, Thursday of this week going okay. to be the 1st of December so uh, you're going to be kicking off the month of December cool well folks uh, with that I mean this has been great uh, again Chad thank you so much uh, you've helped me clarify some things. I think i would pretty much gotten to uh, a conclusion uh, with my own needs here for a standby unit, and uh, I think you've really reinforced those and, and helped me figure out I'm on the right track. I'm sure you've done that for others. I'm sure that there's also some people out there who are thinking, now I have a better understanding of this, and it doesn't seem so over my head. I know that when I first started trying to figure this out, I was like, man, some of these areas, I just don't really know what I need to do. So uh, I think maybe you save a lot of other folks that heartache. So again, thanks for being on the show today.
0: You're welcome, and uh, I'll throw it out that I will help you with any questions you have when dealing with those slimy salesmen at your home.
1: (laughs) I just think that guy's not coming back. uh, But again, thank you, and I appreciate that. And as I get closer to making a final decision, I'll run some things by you. uh, So thanks again. And uh, with that, folks, today this has been uh, Jack Spirico along with Chad Koontz helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.
0: Some day we'll realize Our children just can't pay There's nobody else